Hey, welcome to Virtual Church. We have been in a season of open doors, and uh, we're going to continue that theme today. And <clears throat> there is a, a psalm that's been on my heart, and it talks about the gates and the doors being open. It's Psalm chapter 24. And today, I just want to walk through Psalm 24. And uh, I just believe the Lord has laid it on my heart. And so we're going to walk through this together today. And I believe you'll be encouraged and blessed. Let's read the whole Psalm. And then we're just going to go verse by verse. Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell there within. For he has founded it upon the seas, and he has established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord, righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, and that king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, and the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? He is the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Psalm 24. Today, I just want to take us through, there are three movements. If you just, just a surface reading of this text, you can kind of tell that there are three different movements in the text. And we're just going to walk through each movement. Movement one, movement two, movement three. But the subject of this scripture, the subject of this psalm, it's about the kingship of the Lord. The kingship of Yahweh. The name of the Lord is Yahweh. If you remember that, that was revealed to Moses in the book of Exodus. Yahweh is the Lord's name. And anytime you're reading your Bible and you see the word Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D, it's actually in Hebrew, it's the name Yahweh. Okay, but remember the, the name of the Lord was so holy, Yahweh was so holy, they wouldn't even say it. They would use a substitute word. They would use a filler word. So the translators, when you read your Bibles, they're letting you know that actually every time in this scripture where it says the Lord, it's in all caps, it's actually Yahweh. They're substituting a word there. The, the Hebrew word for Lord is Adonai. But what the subject of this is, is Yahweh and his relationship to creation, his relationship to us. Yahweh is the king of the cosmos. That's what this is. And so let's first look at the first movement about Yahweh's relationship to creation. Verse one and two. The very first line of this psalm is a confession. A confession. The earth is the Lord's. Do you know what a confession is? I know sometimes when we think of confession, we think about confessing our sins, and that's true, that is a confession. But the book of Hebrews tells us that we should hold fast, hold light, tightly to the confession of our faith. There's something about opening your mouth and speaking something out. There's power in your words. And a confession is when we acknowledge and we agree with God. Whatever God has spoken, we speak, and there is power when we confess. 
And so I want to confess this today. Can you say this with me? This is a confession, a confession of faith, that the earth is the Lord's. You're saying that the earth belongs to God. It doesn't belong to anyone else. Yahweh is king of the cosmos, and he's going to have his sovereign divine will. No matter what I see with my physical eyes, at the end of the day, the Lord's will will be done because he's the king of the universe. Can you say that with me? The earth is the Lord's. Say it again. The earth is the Lord's. And you might say, well, Chad, how can the earth be the Lord's? Look at the earth. Look at, there's so much evil going on. Right now, there's stuff going on in Israel. I mean, horrible, horrific stuff. Genocide. You can say, Chad, are you blind? Are you, how can you say the earth is the Lord's? Look at the situation that is going on. And I want to say this. No, I'm not blind. We are not blind. We don't make blind confessions of faith. We're not walking around with our eyes closed, but actually, as believers, we walk around with our eyes wide open. We see the truth. We know the facts. And here are the facts. That the earth belongs to the Lord, and the Lord gave us, humanity, the earth, to rule and reign over, but we have fallen. We have failed to live up to his standard and his glory, and because of that, evil has prevailed in many, many ways. That is the facts. That is what's happening. That's what we see with our eyes. But here's what we know in faith, that evil will not have the final word. You see, we have a hope that transcends the evils of this world because there is coming a day when Yahweh, when God is going to make every wrong right. And we have hope that there is coming a day when war will cease. We have hope that there is coming a day that Jesus is going to set his foot right back on this earth and the rulers of the world will come to nothing. But of his reign, there will be no end. He will be and is the king of righteousness, the prince of peace. So we don't have our eyes shut. Our eyes are open. We see what's going on in the, in the world. But in faith, we make this confession today that the earth is the Lord, the Lord's. You see, the Psalms are powerful. They speak to the, they speak to the experience we have in life. If you start, not in Psalm 24, which we read today, but let's say you start in Psalm 22. There is a progression from Psalm 22 to Psalm 23 to Psalm 24. In Psalm 22, you know what the psalmist says? He says, what in the world's going on? He's lamenting at what he sees with his eyes. And he makes the statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says things like, God, do you even hear me? I'm crying out to you. And when are you going to step in and do something about the situation I'm in, God? The psalmist is lamenting the seeming absence of God. But then when you go from 22 to 23, this is what the psalmist says. No, God has not forsaken me. God has not left me. In fact, Yahweh is my shepherd and he watches over me, and I have everything I need. He is with me. Even though I walk through a valley of a shadow of death, the psalmist acknowledges that there's going to be some low moments. The psalmist acknowledges that there's some dark nights of the soul, 
But even in the dark night of the soul, the psalmist confesses, he is with me through it all. Then you get to the climax, which is Psalm 24. And here comes the powerful confession of faith. Look at the transformation from Psalm 22. God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? Why aren't you moving in this situation? And you move to Psalm 24 and he makes this confession. The earth is the Lord's and everyone in it belongs to God. And who is the Lord? He is the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. You see, Psalm 22 starts out in darkness and in confusion. But what breaks forth and breaks through is a hope that pulls the psalmist into the future, a hope that transcends the darkness, a hope that says, this is not the end. And in the end, Yahweh will have the final say. Yahweh's going to rule the nations. So someone just needs to let hope break forth today in your life. I'm telling you, it won't always be like this. It won't always be like Psalm 22. It won't always feel like this. You will be able to make the confession of faith just like the psalmist does here. And he says, no, the earth is the Lord's. I see war, I see devastation, I see fear, I see hopelessness, I see loss, I see all of that. But this is my confession of faith today. The earth is the Lord's. And my world might be in shambles today. My vision might be limited today. But the earth is the Lord's. My family is the Lord's. My city is the Lord's. This church is the Lord's. This situation is the Lord's. And how, what, makes, what makes the earth belong to the Lord? Well, verse 2 tells you. Verse 2 makes the, the, the declaration that he founded the world upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. You see, in the ancient context, in the ancient people's mind, the seas are dark, chaotic waters. They represent chaos. They represent disorder. And if you go back to Genesis 1, you see that Yahweh is the one who tames the ancient waters of chaos. Who else told the dark and chaotic waters in Genesis 1 to be still? It was Yahweh. In the midst of chaos, what does the Lord do? He brings order. He brings stability. He's the wise one who sets the world straight. And out of the chaos, he brings all that's good and lovely and pleasing. In Revelation 21, it tells us, it's an interesting scripture. It talks about John. He says, I saw the new heavens and the new earth. And he makes an interesting remark. And he says, there will be no sea in them. Remember, ancient people, they saw the sea as a place of deep darkness. The sea is not solid ground that you can put your foot on. In fact, you try to stand in the sea, and what are you going to do? You're going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. And honestly, who knows what's at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> who knows what's at the bottom of the sea? We know more about space than we even do in our own oceans. They're terrifying. It can crush you. It's chaos. But I love in the New Testament, in the gospel, it tells us that Jesus one night on chaotic waters, a storm is happening. And in the middle of the night, the disciples look up and what do they see? They see Jesus walking on the water. 
What's the gospel writers telling us? They're telling us that Jesus is Lord even over the chaos. He is God over the chaotic waters of the sea. The sea can't touch him. He transcends the sea. He makes a solid ground out of a shaky, unstable ground. And the sea must listen to him. The sea, the wind and the waves have to obey him. Why? Because he's the owner of the sea. He's the Lord of the sea. He's God over the sea. He owns it and he tames it. And who will you compare him to? What is our hope? Our hope is that one day there will be no more chaotic waters of life, but that Jesus is going to set everything right. And our future is one, the book of Revelation tells us, without the dark chaos. That's where we're headed. Yahweh is the creator of the cosmos. He is the Lord of the earth. He's the owner of it all. And you know what he wants? We see it in the next, in the next movement, and starting in verse 3. What does the owner want? He invites us to draw near. He calls us his people, his congregation. He calls a group of people out of the world. And he puts this seal on them. And he sets them apart to be different from everybody else in the world. And he says, you can come into my presence. And that's what the next movement is about, verses three through six. Yahweh identifies the congregation. The ones who are making the confession that the Lord is the earth, they are the company of those who seek the presence of the owner of the world. You know how you get things done. Whenever you go to a restaurant and you've had a bad experience, what do you say? Can I speak to your manager? Can I speak to your owner? When you talk to the owner, when you have a presence with the owner, that's when things get done. That's when things change. And this next movement is about you and me having the attention of the owner of the cosmos. And there's four uh, verses here. And in these four verses, the scholar James L. Mays, he sees a movement in the form of, uh, it's, it's an entrance, it's instructions on how you are to enter into the presence of the owner. How do you come to the sanctuary? What does it mean to be the people who seek the owner? And so there's, there's four things here. First, there's a question. Verse two, then there's an answer. Then there's a promise. And then there's a confirmation. First, the question in verse 3, 24-3. The question is, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? This moves us into a psalm of ascent. This is a whole category of psalms, and they're known as the psalms of ascent, of, of going up. Three times a year in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were called to the temple in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is on a hill. Sometimes the Bible calls it Mount Zion. So no matter where you're coming from, no matter where you're traveling from, east, north, south, west, going to God's holy mountain, going to God's holy hill, you're always ascending. You're always going upwards. And when you're, you're, when you're, when you're headed to see the owner of the world, you're always traveling up. You're always ascending. And the psalm of ascents are the songs that the pilgrims headed to Jerusalem, they would sing these on their journey. They were songs of praise as they anticipate being at the temple. And this is who we are. We're pilgrims in this earth, you and I that have been called by God. We're just pilgrims. This place is not our home. We're passing through, we're on a journey and the journey is an uphill journey. The journey to the Lord 
is really not an easy journey. It's not the easy wide path. That the, it's, not the, it's not the path of least resistance. No, serving God, ascending the holy hill is an upward journey. But oh, the view when you get to the top of the hill. And this is what worship is. You see, these are songs. They were headed to the temple to worship God. Worship is an ascent. Worship is an upward movement. It's where we turn our eyes up and we are moving towards God. But you have to be willing to take the journey. Even today as we sing songs and as we're worshiping the Lord, I wholeheartedly believe that as we were worshiping today, that that was an ascent up into the presence of God. What are we doing when we sing? What are we doing when we worship? We're moving towards the heavenlies. But you see, you gotta be willing to take the journey. Sometimes it takes me two or three songs, four songs. It takes, sometimes I gotta get through the clutter of my own soul. And I got so much on my mind. And a lot of people aren't willing to take the journey of worship. They just want to walk in the door sometimes and it just be easy. Let me tell you, it's not always easy to enter into worship. There's some stuff we got to fight through. There's some mindsets. There's some arguments that happen on the way here. There's some stuff that's been happening all week. But you have to be willing to turn your soul towards the heavens and make that ascent and there's turbulence sometimes. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're taking off in an airplane and, you're, and you gotta break through the clouds, if you've ever been there, the, 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 the plane's shaking and there's turbulence. And, and what is that? Listen, there's turbulence when you're ascending. The enemy doesn't want you to ascend. The enemy doesn't want you to ascend the hill of the Lord and to be in the presence of the owner of the universe. He will do everything he can. Oh, every Sunday, trust me, we're fighting through turbulence in the room. We're trying to get everybody into the presence of God, but we face some turbulence sometimes. The enemy wants to keep you here in the valley because he knows if you get up there in the heavenly realms, that's where stuff happens. That's where lives are changed. That's where destinies are changed. That's where you find your strength and your hope. So he's gonna try to keep you down, but you gotta be willing to make the climb. Are there any climbers in the room today? Is there anybody willing to ascend in the room today up the upward call? Oh, I want to challenge somebody today. Don't stop halfway up the hill. Don't lose heart halfway up the hill. I'm tired. This is hard. I thought this would be easier. You had some moment with God years ago, but the high moment wore off and you're just trekking uphill now. Well, let me tell you, keep climbing up the hill. Don't stop. Just keep putting one foot in the front of the other. I remember when I was a kid and I was running cross country, uh, my dad would often, we would be, I would have a baseball game at Camp Jordan Park and we, there were back roads that we could take to our home in Haven Hill and tons of hills. Oh my goodness, hills that were straight up. And I, he used to let me out of the car and I would run home and he would just follow me in the car. He would ride along beside me as I was running home training. And uh, I remember this is what he taught me. When you're, when you're halfway up the hill and you feel tired and you don't know if you can make it, what he would teach me to do is he would teach me, don't try to look at the hill all at once and get overwhelmed by the hill, but actually keep your head down and just look at your feet. Keep your head down and keep your eyes on your feet. Just stay that steady pace with your eyes on the feet. And before you know it, you're gonna be at the top of that hill. Don't let the hill overwhelm you. There's people here today, you're overwhelmed at the hill you're climbing and you don't know how you're gonna do it. I'm telling you, keep climbing the hill. Don't give up. 
Put your eyes, the Bible says, mark out the path with your feet. Stay on the steady path. Don't stop, don't veer to the right or left, but ascend the hill of the Lord because at the top of that hill is the presence of Yahweh, the God Almighty, and you, uh, you will have a face-to-face moment with the owner, and that changes everything. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And then he says, who can stand in his holy place? Oh, you see where God is? That's holy ground. God has marked off some areas in this world. He has put some boundary markers in this world. And in that area where he is, that's a holy place. There's a clear delineation and distinction between holy ground and unholy ground. You see, God lives on a high and holy hill. And the people of God, therefore, must be holy. You see, the tabernacle and the temple, that was the place where God's glory resided. It was the footstool. Heaven is his throne. The earth, his foot's where his feet were propped up as the king of the universe. And that area had to be marked off. It couldn't be like other locations in the earth. It was holy ground because God is holy. And the law of the temple, the book of Ezekiel, tells us is this, absolute holiness unto the Lord. There's a story in the Old Testament about a man named Naaman. Naaman has leprosy. Naaman's not from Israel. Naaman's from a place called Syria. But he comes into Israel because he heard that the God who reigns over Israel, Yahweh who reigns over the ground, the earth of Israel, that he's a healer. And Naaman comes and he gets healed. And you know what's interesting? Naaman has to leave Israel, which is God's marked off space, his territory. And he has to go back to Syria from where he's from. But you know what's interesting? When he leaves Israel, you know what he asks for? He says, hey, can I take some of this dirt with me? Can I take some of this ground with me? Because you see where I live in a place called Syria, we worship a God, his name is Ramon. And Ramon doesn't heal like Yahweh heals. Ramon doesn't rule like Yahweh rules. And there's something about this patch of dirt. There's something about this place. This is holy ground. Israel was holy ground because the one true God, that's where he decided to put his geographical location on the earth. And under the domain of Yahweh is holy ground. Now in the new covenant, The church, the congregation is to be holy ground. The people of God, we are to be God's dwelling place. We are to be God's temple. We are gathered here today and this place is marked off as holy ground. And if we could see in the spirit realm, I believe we would see spread throughout the earth on Sunday mornings, little gatherings of lights planted at every nation. Oh, we are surrounded by darkness and enemy territory, but we're taking territories back for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is spreading slowly but relentlessly. And we are tiny little pockets of resistance against the rulers and spiritual forces in high places who think they rule the earth. But no, we're here to say, no, the earth is the Lord's. And every time we gather, Every time we take communion, every time someone is baptized and comes to Christ, uh, the enemy's territory grows a little bit smaller. 
And Jesus is building his church, expanding his territory, and the powers and the principalities and the rulers over this present darkness will not prevail against it. It's holy ground. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Listen to me. Do not be deceived today. If you're living a lifestyle that is not in accordance with the word of the Lord, if you're deliberately disobeying God, I'm not preaching sinless perfection here, but I'm preaching about the orientation of your heart. If you're half-hearted, living a halfway life, if you're living for yourself and ignoring God and his commands, do not be deceived. You cannot have an audience with the owner of the universe and live however you want to. You can't be close to the Lord and hanging on to your old lifestyle at the same time. There must be a forsaking, a cutting away of the old life and a pursuit of the things of God. He who dwells on a high and holy hill and those who are drawn near must come with clean hands and a pure heart. Oh, but there's healing today. There's grace today for those who repent. Those who bring their brokenness to God, confess their sin, forsake their way of life, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you and wash you and break away chains. The blood of Jesus will give you access into the very throne of grace where the owner of the universe dwells, the king of glory. But make no mistake, you must be holy because God is holy. You're living an old lifestyle and you say you're serving Jesus, you're lying to yourself. You've deceived yourself. No, you're not. You're not close to Jesus. You're not close to the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit and he will dwell with those who live holy. That's the answer. Here's the promise. He will receive those who come with clean hands and a pure heart, will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And here's the confirmation of who we are. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. You see, this is who we are. This is what makes us, us, is that we are those who confess the earth, earth is the Lord's. And we are those who seek the face of God. We are after God in his presence. And now it moves to the third part of the psalm. Now the psalm makes its third movement, and here's what's interesting, it changes. You see, the second part there was us ascending the hill. It was God inviting us up to his presence. But here it takes a different movement. We're not just invited to ascend the hill, but now the Lord is coming to us. What a thought. And who is the identity of the one who comes to us? The psalmist says, he is none other than the very king of glory. Are you ready to receive the king of glory? Zechariah 9.9 is a prophecy about Jesus. And it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. This is a prophecy about Jesus. What is the response when the king comes to you? The response is always joy. You joyfully receive 
the king of glory. Jesus, the king of glory, came. And there were some gates that he came through. There were some doors that opened up for him. When he walked through, he said, heads up, here I come. Here I am. I'm coming, and there's nothing that can keep me out of what belongs to me. He's coming for his own. And I love this. I was talking with a friend of mine, Dan Tarlin, a friend of our church. He got me all fired up about this, man. Because, listen, Jesus entered through some gates. What does that scripture say? Be open up. Heads up, O ye gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors. And the king of glory will come in. Jesus, when he came, he entered through some gates. He entered through some doors. First of all, Jesus, the king of glory, entered the gates of Jerusalem to confront the powers of this world. In Matthew 21, we see Jesus is called the triumphal entry. And what does he do? He enters through the gates of Jerusalem. And the multitudes surround Jesus as he's fulfilling Zechariah 9. He's coming. And what are they doing? They're waving palm branches. And they're shouting, Hosanna. They're happy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Savior of the world enters the gates of the city. And what does he do? He walks right into the temple and he says, here I am. Here I am. The king of glory is in your midst. And what does he do? He turns the tables over in the temple. He confronts it. He confronts the powers of this world. He confronts the Jewish leaders who think they own they own their little piece of property. He confronts the Roman leaders who think they own literally the, the world. But here is Jesus coming through the gates and he says, look around you, all that you see, this wonderful temple, this wonderful city, it's all gonna pass away soon. And you think you can destroy me, but God is gonna vindicate me and he's gonna raise me from the dead. And my kingdom, there will be no end. I am the king of glory. Open up, you ancient gates, because here I come. And then after Jesus enters into Jerusalem, we know what happens. He's crucified. But then what does he do when he's crucified? You see, the king of glory, after he enters the gates of Jerusalem and is killed, then he enters into the dark doors of Hades to confront the powers of death. You see, they put Jesus right where he wanted to be. Jesus wanted to go to the very depths of the things that hold us. It wasn't just world powers he came to, the, to confront. He came to confront heavenly powers that held us down. He came to confront the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave. And on Holy Saturday, the day between Friday and Sunday, the creed tells us that Jesus descends to the place of the dead. And because he descended, now we can ascend the hill of the Lord. And, and, and he goes to the very gates of Hades, and he grabs the keys and he says, I'm now taking these keys, thank you very much. And he lets the demonic beings, they're called the sons of God from Genesis 6, he lets them know, he puts them on notice, he gloats over them, he lets them know you will forever be tormented in hell, but those who have died in faith will be freed from the power of death. And he gloats over them. He says, remember me, boys? Remember that time you thought you owned the earth? Remember that time you thought 
You were going to own the universe. You remember what happened to you? You got kicked out of heaven so fast, it was like lightning coming out of the sky. You remember me? I'm the king of glory. Open up, O gates of hell, and let me in. I'm breaking out from the inside, and I'm taking all those who died in faith with me. And it says that he went to the depths of Hades, and he proclaimed the good news to the spirits in Hades. He's letting them know. I am the king of the universe. I am the king of glory, and I will have the final say. And then the last gate that Jesus enters through is he ascends and he enters into the heavenly temple. On the third day, he's raised out of that grave, and he is the victorious champion, and he goes through the very gates of heaven, and all the worldly powers are now subjected to his divine rule, and all cry out that he alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the heavenly hosts welcome in the King of glory, and they shout, and they rejoice. Oh, yeah, lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. And let me tell you, there's one more time. There's one more time that the king of glory is gonna come in. He's got one more move up his sleeve. And so all the powers of the world, Republicans, Democrats, whoever thinks they own this universe, they own this earth, that they're calling the shots, I can tell you it will not be for very much longer because the king of glory is coming in and he's trying to give you a heads up. He's trying to say, hey guys, hey, hey, lift your head up. I'm coming again. Are you ready to welcome me in? Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door I'm at the door and I'm knocking. Are you going to let me in? Are we going to open the door and invite the king of glory in? Who's going to rejoice at his second coming? It's the bride who has prepared herself and made herself ready. It's the people who are confessing. I don't care what I see around me. I don't care. The nations are raging and 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 ideologies are raging and anti-God, anti-biblical movements are raging. But here's what I know. At the end of the day, I confess the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he's coming again. He's the owner. He's the king. It all belongs to him. And I am lifting my head up to the sky to welcome in Jesus. Can you just do that right where you're at? Lift your hands up and just welcome him. Jesus, King of glory, we welcome you in today. The earth is yours. I am yours. Would you come? The spirit and the bride say come. Come again, just like you did 2,000 years ago. We're waiting on you to come again. We welcome you in our lives. Until then, until that day, we're going to confess the earth is yours today, God. We belong to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, next week is a big deal for us. This is the public opening. We've had our special family moment. But now the doors are open to the church, but they're not open just for us to come in. They're open for us to go out. 
and to, and, to, and to go out into all the world as the light of the world, as God's holy people. I wanna encourage you to bring people with you on the 22nd, bring people that need to hear the gospel. And let's just believe that God's gonna be touching lives on that day, October 22nd. It's the public opening of our new front doors and we wanna welcome in all people so they can meet the King of glory. We love you and we'll see you soon.